Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that normally sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. But this week is a triple threat week. On this week's episodes in the red corner... Charlton Heston versus Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, oh, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, in 1968's Planet of the Apes. Discover Planet of the Apes, a civilization where humans run wild in the jungles and the superior beings are apes. While in the blue corner, Marky Mark is up against Tim Roth's General Fade, who is one angry ape as Tim Burton delivers that twist in 2001's Planet of the Apes. One day they'll tell a story, and some will say it was just a fairy tale about a human who came from the stars and changed our world. It's disgusting the way we treat humans. How the hell did they get like this? What other way would they be? If they see you on the street, they kill you on sight. You stay here, you're dead. Where are you from? United States Air Force. I'm going back. Some humans have escaped. Is there another way out of the city? I can show you the way. While in the puce corner, James Franco says, Hail Caesar, as he fiddles with ape anatomy from 2011. It's the incorrectly titled... Rise of the Planet of the Apes. We're talking about huge potential for millions of people. Our therapy enables the brain to repair itself. We call it the cure. I want you to start testing on chimps ASAP. We test one subject. I want to make sure it's stable. I designed the 112 for repair, but Caesar's gone way beyond that. Increased intelligence. Skills that far exceed that of a human counterpart. So what connects these three films and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Putters. Oh my god. I'm back. I'm home. <laughs> I'm Alex Zane. That's excruciating. (laughs) I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. 
Hey, Chris Tilly. Uh, Chris is recording remotely today. Uh, just to fill you in, Chris, uh, you are being missed. There is a, a, a giant hole in the studio this week in your absence. Um, Victoria is wearing a lovely uh, floral summery dress. I'm wearing a black T-shirt and jeans. What are you wearing? Nothing. That's uncomfortable. Mm. I, I knew he was going to say that as well. I, I kind of think, yeah. I think I knew that as well. I think I thought I knew that. Uh, well, thanks for joining us, Chris, and uh, it's lovely to have you here. Uh, I'm going to be, isn't it weird? Now he's not here. I'm being really polite to him. Being really nice to him, yeah. It's so weird. Yeah. So weird. Uh, all right. So uh, these were Chris's choices this week. Uh, ape on ape action. Chris, tell us your thought process. Um, I like Planet of the Apes and I like uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. So I thought it would be nice to compare the two of them. <laughs> <laughs> and. Just and, thrusting and that then, third movie in. Uh, yeah, and then when I mentioned it to you, we both agreed that we couldn't not discuss the Tim Burton because there's too much going on there to ignore it. And on a personal level, I wanted to watch the Tim Burton one again. I genuinely, I'd only seen it once and I was like, it can't be that bad. <laughs> and yeah. we will talk about that uh, on the next episode. Um, so, oh, quick question. Uh, probably I should have done this off air, but these episodes are going out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, correct? <laughs> No, we, we do we do the Monday, Thursday, Saturday is how we've always right. done it. That's why you need to be here in the studio, Chris. This is what happens when you take a day off. I just it all goes to pieces. Right, cool. So Monday, Thursday and Saturday. Got it. So on Thursday we'll be talking about two thousand and one's Tim Burton's reimagining of Planet of the Apes. On Saturday, I'll be talking about 2011's Rise of the Planet of the Apes. But yes, uh, today we are talking about the original 1968 Planet of the Apes. Uh, so, uh, great clues. Uh, Chris, you started us off with a clue last week. What was it? Um, guerrilla warfare. Yeah, nice. Simple. Effective. Then you followed that up on Twitter with... Simpsons. Simpsons line. Chim mm. Chimpanzee to chimpanzee. Great. And over on the Planet of the crepes on twitter it's an amalgamation of clash potters and apes crepes okay doesn't work uh on twitter and instagram we are at clash pod and we had some guesses crash land uh, frank b daniel flynn Gemma page but sadly not her husband reese page who incorrectly guessed the new apes trilogy paul logue ian donnarumma defias monk liam McPee, all correctly guessed it but were beaten to the first guess in brand new winner this week. Never won before. I do say that a lot, but this time I'm pretty sure. Wolf35999. Congratulations. Your prize is a VIP night out at Clash Pod's brand new live experience called Chimp Carnage. Two animals enter the arena, one leaves. Our opening night is Wolf versus Chimpanzee. Tickets available right now on our website. If you're sitting on the front row, bring a poncho. Things get messy. <laughs> Who do you think would win, wolf or chimp? Who's your money on? A chimp. You think a chimp would beat a wolf? Yeah, I do. Chimps are nasty and scary. This always takes me back to the very first episode we did, where and it genuinely was the first. It was the first episode where you explained at length about that uh, chimpanzee that had been kept, kept as a pet in the US and, and what it did to a, uh, the owner. I think I might have edited it out because it was so graphic. Your description. Can we tell you what it was? I feel that we've built up enough trust with our listeners now that you can actually, uh, you yeah. can actually do the long form version if you like. It ripped a woman's face off, right. and then it ripped a man's testicles off. You didn't need to be asked twice, did you? <laughs> I love that fact. I mean, it's awful, but bear that in mind. Mm. I just think a wolf, 
I mean, it get, if it gets if it gets the chimp round the neck, this is getting very graphic very quickly. But mm. then you already started with the chimp ripping a man's testicles off. So mm. well, you don't yeah. give a shit about the woman's face, but the man's balls. <laughs> How have you managed to turn it into this? It's not me. <laughs> As a man, I know how it feels to get kicked in the testicles, right. and so you know, I guess times that by three or four is what it feels like to get them ripped completely off. I guess, yeah, by a chimp. Yeah, yeah. This is what happens when Chris is away. Um, so, um, where are we? Good. Yes, we've no need for a connection section this week, I don't think. Do you want to do one? No, no. Chris? No. No. Right then, let's get it on. So, on Thursday, Chris is dealing with Abraham Lincoln. On Saturday, I'll be planning a chimp-based jailbreak. But today, Vicky wants us to keep our stinking paws off her. V takes on a journey. Angry chauvinist George Taylor crashes his rocket into the future on a planet where you can breathe the air, walk the terrain and swim the waters, but it's definitely not Earth. Showing fearless leadership skills, he then belittles the surviving crew and sends them on a death march. Minus Stuart, the lady astronaut who grew old to death during the crash, thereby dodging a lifetime of sexual slavery at the behest of her, quote, hot and eager (laughs) colleagues. Taylor ends up in the world's strangest courtroom drama as he discovers this upside-down world is run by apes with a civilization and culture that is just advanced enough to make it possible to film. Finding some comfort in a pet woman and a friendship with Zira and Cornelius, who are pretty chill about cracking wise with the equivalent of a monkey from space, he goes on the run, finds a doll with a battery that's lasted for 800 years and the freaking Statue of Liberty. Cue massive outpouring of emotion while his pet woman looks on, presumably wondering just how many of her children will be expected to shag their actual siblings in order to repopulate whatever corner of New York her new owner is dragging her to. <laughs> there you go. Wow. Do you think uh, do you think Stuart actually put a hole in her own capsule? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I mean, I thought that when he was like when he was like, yeah, we're very the eager. Eve. <laughs> very eager. We were all we we're gonna be banging away on that. Did yeah. she think Fuck this. No, thanks. Fuck this. I'm going to die in my sleep. Fucking eight years of astronaut school to end up <laughs> fucking permanently pregnant and breastfeeding. No, you're all right. Um, I tell you what, just on Stuart, she's only referred to as Stuart in the film and in the credits. And I wanted to find her first name just to do her a favour. Mm. So I found it. Oh. Uh, where is it? She's called Mary Ann. Um, but you only find that out on a box set that was released in November 2008. So she's called Mary Ann Stewart. So there we go. We've done her some justice. Does it really make up for, you know, <laughs> killing herself in her sleep to avoid <laughs> years of sex slavery? Sexual slavery, honestly. Anyway, mm. so um, you may be able to tell by my surprise, mm. I've never seen this film. Um, yeah, I know it's big, isn't it? Just um, I've had it. It's been a really fun education watching these films, but I tell you for why. I just thought it maybe wasn't for me because the the jolt that you get when you see a chimp in real life when you look into its eyes and you're like oh fuck they are actually just like us I get that but then the minute so basically I can see why the IP works as a book but when you put makeup on the monkeys to make them look like human monkeys but they are humans I was like I just don't get that it's just I just it just passed me by so that's why you didn't watch it. Be- yeah, yeah, because I just thought I just thought the makeup will never live up to what you would imagine that to be in your head. I was wrong, but oh, that's why it passed me by. How often do you find yourself staring into a chimp's eyes? I mean, probably about once a year, taking the kids to the zoo. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And you sort of like, you go off and have fun. Mummy will be by the chimp enclosure. <laughs> just staring at them. Just peering through the glass. Great, Make- Mummy wants a new baby. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I would have a little baby chimp. No, I wouldn't because it would rip my face off. Yeah. Much like a child, actually. So it's all the same. So that's my history. What's yours? I feel there was a lot of information at the end of that that <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to process. You want to, you stare at chimps at the zoo going, I want to have a baby with you. When you see them dressed up as babies, it is cute when they've got little nappies on and stuff. It mm. is. You see, because I thought the Mark Wahlberg, Helena Bonham Carter romance in 2001's Planet of the Apes was probably going to be the weirdest thing we talked about this week. <laughs> yeah. But it, it turns out actually you, you relate to that romance between woman and chimp. Uh, no. Right. You've confused me. Chris, tell me your history with this movie. I watched it on telly when I was a kid and I loved it. And then I rewatched it about five years ago for an article I wrote arguing that rather than Jaws or Star Wars, Planet of the Apes was the original summer blockbuster. Um, what evidence did you provide in this article? This is a so-called <laughs> article. <laughs> because it's based on a strong IP. It's a high concept where the story is told in the title. It's got spin-offs in the shapes of TV show, cartoon, audio adventures, Marvel comics. There was merchandise, including trading cards, lunchboxes, costumes, coloring books, early action figures, though they were called figurines at the time. And the big one, it had a whole bunch of sequels that followed. So that's exactly what the modern blockbuster does. And it was doing it 10 years before Jaws and Star Wars. I mean, it feels petty to get into an argument with you when you're not here, but I thought a summer blockbuster was defined by a wide release, and that's why Jaws is the first summer blockbuster, because they released it on so many screens at exactly the same time, and that is where the term blockbuster comes from. Depends what your definition is. The definition of blockbuster. How about you, Al? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, um, I, I've never, I don't know. It's the answer. This is a really weird one for me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I've definitely seen part of it and I don't remember. I've seen it like as a kid. I think I, I put it on and then I probably left the room because it was really slow uh, as a child, a very slow film. But I definitely seen the monkeys before the apes in the makeup and gone, oh, all right. And I definitely remember the bit in the cave at the end and the Statue of Liberty. But again, I told you in the week, I can't remember whether I saw that in the film or I watched it on YouTube just to see the twist because it was such a cultural touch point. I needed to be aware of what happened in it. So I'm not sure. I've seen bits of it, but no, I've never had the experience of going as an adult certainly watching this and going oh wow planet of the apes this is a cultural touchstone i mean that's the thing i knew the ending before because i'd seen yeah. it in the simpsons oh so, yeah yeah so i knew so so yeah it's hard to watch isn't it because once you know what's coming it sort of infects everything else but um but yeah I, and arguably the simpsons ending is better where charlton heston would have said i love you dr zayas <laughs> So I've done quite a lot of research. Would you like to hear some background? Hell yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, so it is based on a book by Pierre Boulle from 1963 called La Planète de Songe. He had an interesting life. Did you know he was a spy? No. Yeah, he was. For who? Against who? He was an agent for the Free French during the Second World War and he was captured, captured by the Vichy um, in Indochina. Interesting, isn't it? That is interesting. I think what's weird, we, look, we'll get to this. He was a spy mm -hmm. and then makeup artist John Chambers worked for the CIA. Holy shit. Holy shit. I know, it's weird, isn't wow, it? Wow, that's how I define a blockbuster. Oh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but anyway, so have you read the book? No, Chris, have you read the book? Yeah, I, I read the book years ago uh, when I was a kid. Um, uh, just very quickly, the, the big difference is I remember the protagonist is a journalist called Ulysses. Yes. That's different. Um, the Ape Society is modern, so there's technology and cars and stuff like that. The apes take over by learning to ape humans. 
um, is is what something that he keeps coming back to. Um, as a pun, but also is that the meant ending to be a pun as well. They ate, ate well, he humans. kind of liked the pun. He liked the pun, and he uses it, but he uses it as a device in the in the in the book that they 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 copy humans more and more. And then the ending's different. Um, but we can talk about that. I think probably on the on Thursday's episode because that's more in line with the Tim Burton ending. Oh, can we can we do it now? Just I know you want to talk about it on Thursday and save it, but I'm fascinated by the ending of the book because I read about what it was and I don't quite understand it, but it does sound like it in some way excuses Tim Burton's insanity. Well, he's on they're on another planet in the book. They're not on right. Earth. So, they leave the planet, they come back to Earth. Uh he crash lands in France and a policeman shows up and the policeman is an ape. Mm. But then aren't the astronauts apes as well? No, that's the twist. What's the twist? The astronauts, it's two people, it's two people, you think they're people on honeymoon in mm. space in the book. And the big twist is saved right for the last se- sentence. She is reading this story about this French person that um, f- that found this civilization run by apes. And then she scratches her little fluffy ears and she is an ape. And that's the twist. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I still don't understand it. So wait, so the people in the book who come back to Earth, so the whole thing's they a story. Come back to Earth. Yeah, the whole thing's a story. Right. But they are already, so the twist is they're already monkeys, they're already an advanced civilization reading about a Frenchman who found a planet run by monkeys. And then she's like, what a silly story that is. Whatever, but she's a monkey in space. So the truth that was told in the story has already happened, if you know what I mean. Or never happened because it's just a story. Yes, but the oh for God's sake, the takeaway of the book is there oh, is. I'm a- sorry, <laughs> wanting to learn from you. I thought you love these moments. Do I? What these teaching yeah. moments? The twist is there is already a civilization adv- advanced enough to have monkeys in space. Yes. Okay, Tim Burton's version is amazing compared well, I, to that. I've got something on that because I've read a lot of alternate endings that were written in 1968 for the script. And one of them is basically Tim Burton's ending, apart from Abraham Lincoln, but the, the planet is run by monkeys. If you're going to say it, you say Abraham so, Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, Arthur P. Jacobs. Now, I read a couple of different things here. So I'll just tell you what I read because I couldn't. I found more evidence for one version. But I read somewhere that he bought the rights for the novel before it was published. But I also read that it was King Brothers Productions who hired Rod Serling to adapt it. And it was very tricky. And then Arthur P. Jacobs got his hands on it a couple of years later. And I read that a couple of times. So I think I'm going to go with that one because it was a tricky adaptation. Because as we've all said, the apes in the story are really advanced because they're in space and they've got a very advanced futuristic civilization and it was too expensive to film. Hmm. So Serling had to reduce it down to its absolute barest components, which is an advanced civilization of apes, but they don't, you know, they're not capable of space travel. Um, He said, as soon as you put a shirt and tie on an orangutan, you invite laughter, but our story is a serious satire. So we had to find a way to handle this properly. So, Moore Abrahams, a producer on the film, said that Serling worked on it for 18 months. Then he got busy with something else. So Michael Wilson, who is also a credited writer on this, uh, was hired to do a polish. And then there's another writer, but no one can remember his name. <laughs> so Moore Abrahams just says, I can't remember his first name. But he did a dialogue polish, but he doesn't get credit for it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know. It's a gutting. Can you imagine if that, if his line, if his contribution was, get your paws off me, you damn stinky. Yeah, that's true, because it is a dialogue polish. So maybe that's awful, isn't it? Um so Wilson and Serling share credit and there was a bit of debate or there has been a bit of debate over the years about who came up with the ending. More Abrahams said it was Rod Serling's. Um, I read, I did myself, I read a lot of alternate endings he did, but Rod Serling, very well known for The Twilight Zone. In 1959, he wrote an episode of The Twilight Zone called I Shot an Arrow Into the Air, which has basically got the same ending as okay. 
Planet of the Apes. So there's that to sort of back up that it was his. Um, it was Michael Wilson's biographer said that it was him, but no one else says that. So let's just go with Rod Serling. Um, so we've got a script. Charlton Heston read from the Serling script with some early version of the makeup to convince Fox that this was a good idea in the first place. Because I think it's probably quite a tricky sell um, because without the makeup, it's just crackers. This idea that uh, you have to emote, these monkeys have to emote and you have to connect with them, but they're monkeys um, and all the rest of it. Um, now, this is one of my favourite stories. So for Nova, the mute woman, Ursula Andrews and Raquel Welsh turned it down because they were weirdly uninterested in a role that didn't require them to speak at all. What about face acting, though? <laughs> she has to do a lot, yeah. You rate face acting. I do rate face Surely acting. Surely it's a challenge. Yeah, it just seems a bit she unbalanced, doesn't it? She has a man teach it? her how to smile, which is quite exciting. Oh, my God, yeah. I taught it to smile. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's gossipy, but Linda Harrison got the part. She was in a relationship at the time with the head of the studio, Richard D. Zanuck. She got pregnant during filming. But that's gossipy and whatever. So we'll just put that to one side. No, but I mean, he, he was married to someone else at the time, mm. but he was dating Linda Harrison. And he was he was clearly very determined to get her into this film because in that early screen test, she's playing Zira. Right. Um, that part obviously went to Kim Hunter, but he's like, no, my my missus, my other missus is still going to be in this film. So um, <laughs> Zanuck got his way, definitely. Yeah. That's more like it. Look at you tiptoeing around the juice. <laughs> Oh, all the way from his bedroom, it Chris Tilly. Yeah, it can't be me that me says in. it. It can't be, oh, for obvious reasons. Right. I can hear it. I can accept it, but I can't uh, okay. I can't go for her in that way. <laughs> I know. It's not on brand at all. It's not going for her. It's going for him. The sleaze. I guess. Um, Dr. Zayas was going to be played by Edward G. Robinson, who was in the screen test, but he backed out because of the makeup. So I really want to talk about the makeup designer, John Chambers, principally because I listened to a podcast last year called Wind of Change. Did you listen to this? So it was a about CIA covert ops and propaganda and it was about a rock song Wind of Change which you do know and whether or not that was written by the CIA and, and helped to bring down the Soviet Union and all the rest of it but John Chambers worked for the CIA creating disguise kits and in the podcast Wind of Change the podcasters talked to a woman who was on the team with John Chambers when he was part of you know the thing that Argo is based on it's called the Canadian Caper Yeah. so he was part of that and she was talking about this makeup that they used and all I'm thinking as a modern listener is like oh it's like fucking Mission Impossible like the cool masks and then she just drops these breadcrumbs and she's like but the only reason I'm allowed to talk to you about the makeup that we were you know that we were designing in the 60s and 70s is because it's no longer of interest to the CIA and when something is no longer of interest you're allowed to talk about it but what that also means is they're not using that technology anymore. They don't give a shit what you say about it because they've moved past it. So that to me was so cool because it's like they are using disguise techniques that you can't even imagine. <gasps> yeah. Like see nanobots, what nanobots that can change the structure of the face and yeah, the skin. Yeah. yeah. Like, she said she she was her with John Chambers and his whole team. They would create makeup that was so convincing. But you know, one of the tests would be to walk into a room with your boss, <coughs> excuse me, and convince him that you were someone else. But what could it have been other than prosthetics back then? That's all it could have been. I know, but. Yeah, but just very, very good ones. I mean, the monkey stuff is very good. So it is. Yeah, it, I, it's absolutely incredible. It's absolutely incredible. They had to invent like new rubber to make it for Planet of the Apes to make it malleable enough that the actors could move, but it wasn't too heavy and all. I mean, it is just amazing. Like I think the makeup. I was wrong to let this pass me by based on I was like I wouldn't be able to sort of connect with that character because the makeup is incredible mm. and it totally works. And without it, it's a very different and difficult proposition. I think. 
Well, yeah, certainly. Well, without it, they don't look like chimps. They look <laughs> yeah, like humans. Yeah, definitely, yeah. <laughs> then they just... <laughs> if they, they didn't have any makeup on it, it'd be the planet no, but also, of the people. they've been more true to the spirit of the book because I think it's fair to say that Tim Burton's fucking lady monkeys don't look much like monkeys, do they? Hot. Yeah, they look hot. You're not supposed to look like a hot lady. You are if your lead is going to be in a relationship with one in a love triangle for most of the movie. I just you don't you know you don't have to do it that way like well, yeah, I, I think to make it palatable for a mainstream we're doing Thursday already because but to make it palatable for a mainstream audience yeah Helena Bonham Carter's ape has to have a bob <laughs> the bobs are fu- <laughs> God, let's just say it why have they all got such shit hair they all the lady monkeys have got shit hair bad wigs anyway anyway that's all I've got there's loads and there's loads and loads there but is. I just wanted to like keep it concise Chris you want to throw anything in. Jerry Goldsmith yeah, in the music. <laughs> <laughs> what is that now? Like 27 podcasts which Jerry Goldsmith featured on. He is way in the lead. It's 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 12. Right. How's How many? And also, I've made a list. Um, Logan's Run, The Omen, The Swarm, Outland, Poltergeist, First Blood, Supergirl, Explorers, Legend, Leviathan, Warlock, Malice, The Shadow, Air Force One, Deep Rising, Small Soldiers, The Mummy, Hollow Man. We could do all of those and that'll get us up to 30. Great. Oh, my God. Challenge accepted. There were like three movies on there that I really want to do, especially Deep Rising. There was about 12 that I want to do, so we're good. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks for the memories. Thanks, Jerry. Shall we talk about the film? Fuck yeah. Yeah. So bear in mind, first time time viewer, so some of these, I've got some questions, such as... All right, first time viewer as well. I've got no answers. (laughs) So let's meet George Taylor. He likes a cigar in space. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it's just like, I've got loads of questions. Like, he doesn't seem like a fucking astronaut at all, does he? (laughs) And also, we'll talk about his character, but... He's taking a he's taking five to lecture the people of Earth that he's on his way back to, and he's like, I bet you lot are fucking pretty shitty by the time <laughs> I get home. Which I love as a character note, like you've got no faith in humanity, but it's an odd choice for the leader of a space mission, I feel. Yeah, they've been in space a while, haven't they? Yes. Yeah. So I think he's all like, I couldn't quite work it out. So he's heading back to an Earth 700 years. Yeah, and he's already all right with that. Yeah, which is kind of nuts yep. in itself. But is he... So the plan was that they were going to head back to Earth and Earth probably wouldn't be the Earth they remembered. Humankind might have died out, which is why Stuart was going to be their, the, the baby carrier. Mm. That was, that That's was, what I think, yeah. That was the plan. Right, yeah. okay. But they're quite chill. The plan to, you know, imagine yourself, not yourself, imagine the world in 700 years. It's unthinkable. 700 right. years is a long time. In a human brain, it's quite hard to parse the difference between 700 years and 2,000 light years. Just like, okay, it's just a big number now. Like, So exactly. it, what difference does it make? And also, physically? why would you not go, this could probably be Earth that we've landed on because it's 700 years in the future? Exactly. So when they crash, there is a lot of dialogue, which I, is, is there for a good reason. They're fairly sure they're 2,000 light years from Earth. I think I could have done with a line that was like, on our big space adventure, we've actually come across quite a lot of planets with breathable air and uh, and gravity for fucking starters. And they're 10 a penny. So there's nothing special about this place that make, just to put you off the scent. But then am I thinking that because I know the ending? The characters don't know. I know. So it's like, well, it's really obvious that it's Earth. But, you know, if I'd not, if I didn't know the twist. Yeah, I think if I, if I, if I was watching this cold for the first time without knowing the twist... I, there is enough there that makes me go, yeah, this is a different planet. Yeah, nothing grows mm. and, okay, yeah. 
the little positioning of the tiny little stars and stripes, like they are on a new planet and they're claiming it as their own. Yeah. It's nice. So I love his attitude because it's really, Charlton Heston's attitude is really fun to watch, <laughs> but there isn't much leadership. So he just belittles everyone. Like, he's like, stop fucking <laughs> m- morning. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you're, t- you're miles away from home. And I love the speech that he gives to Landon about, oh yeah, there's a statue of you, yeah, and it's gone green now and no one can even tell what it is. But it's like, are you trying to in- in- motivate these people to march? Like, maybe Maybe just go a bit easy. <laughs> He's a real dick. A massive dick. Yeah. I mean, just let your crew, let your colleagues like have a bit of a minute to take it in. But is it there? His he's an unreformed he is a chauvinist, obviously, he's an unreformed man. So the apes are right to fear him, yes? Because he represents a very base type of a man as in human, not man as in gender man. Like he's the worst kind of us kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. So they're right to be worried about him. Chris? Yeah, and I think also it's setting up his hubris, isn't it? Because he, he's he's going to have a huge fall come the end of this film. And so it, it's starting right from the off. They're building him up to, to knock him down at the end, which makes it that much more powerful. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I get that. I get that. He's had, yeah, he's a he's a white man who's had it w- relatively easy, and now that's not that's going to do nothing for him later on. I get that. I like the space backpacks. They look really uncomfortable, but they mm, do look heavy, cool. don't mm. they? And they've got nothing useful in them, really. No, I didn't really understand what all that equipment was. <laughs> no. um, Have you got the, you brought the maracas, the space maracas? <laughs> Great. Great, perfect. Um, so they find a river. They meet the early humans, the mute humans. I mean, they wouldn't be mute as well. Like, early humans made noises. These, these guys don't really say much of anything. I haven't read the book. Obviously, in the later films, the simian flu makes people mute. Oh, okay. Which is what caused the downfall right. of the planet in the first place. I see, I see, I see. Because early humans did have language and singing and whoops and hollers. But these and all aren't early humans. What are they then? These are post-apocalypse yeah. humans, so aren't they? But they used. To, so they don't talk. Why do they not? All people communicate. But because of the virus that wiped out a lot of the humans. Okay. The simian it's flu. Out their vocal cords. Yeah, it makes yeah. you mute. Okay. I don't know if that's. You see, this is where it all gets a bit weird because that comes for me. That comes from the most recent trilogy, which is in the final f- film where the simian flu it, humans are um, devolving, and therefore part of the devolution is they go mute and they can no longer communicate okay. with speech. All right. But I don't know if that's canon for the original. Movies. I see. I see. No, it's it's a, it's post-apocalypse. This story is because the bomb's gone off. Yes. Yes. Yeah, but then towards the end of this franchise, it's all about it's time travel, isn't it? I'm talking about where these who, who these humans are, and they're um they're post-apocalypse humans rather than yeah sort of cavemen. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the the point is at this point of this section of the film, I was like, this is all like I'm not quite sure what is going on, as in where I'm gonna where I'm gonna find that thrill of like this is why this is revered as a great film. Mm-hmm. But then once the apes appear and start killing people, yeah. that's when I was into it. Fantastic, like, yeah. yeah. It's amazing. They're, I mean, Scary as well. First, I, I can imagine the first time you saw those apes appear in the cinema on horseback, because they're the scarier looking apes as well from the ape society. Yeah. And they there's a real, I mean, I imagine, I, I got it a little bit watching it this time, but you're right. I'd sort of, after however long that walking around the desert is for half an hour, I was like, this is this is such a 19. 19- 68 movie. Yeah, yeah. This is of that time. Oh, I'm modern. Oh, we're so childish. Just like, oh, because nothing needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. When you saw the scarecrows, I was like, oh, something's mm. going to happen now. But it doesn't happen for ages after that. It feels like ages. It's not. We're just babies. But yeah. 
But I do think, yeah, I think this also, it, it, I love a movie that is sort of, it sits outside the parameters of how a film is made now. And I love the idea that, you know, you've got half an hour of them walking, but I don't think it builds up enough of a, a surreal, ominous atmosphere as it could. And it's, you know, Tom Heston just bitching at yes. his crewmates and you're like, can I really feel that this moment could drag me into sort of this weird alien vibe of this planet? Is it Earth? Is it not Earth? And I just feel that they're fucking bored. Also, were you disappointed that the scarecrows weren't corpses? Because I thought they yeah, were. I couldn't work out what they were or yeah. what they signified. It's literally scarecrows, just stuffed clothes. Yeah, which is just a mark that they're—that's the forbidden zone. Is that what yeah. we find out later on? Yeah, I sort of—I thought because you see them at a distance and they're set up like this is going to be a big reveal. They're going to get up there and it's going to be flayed human skin yeah. hanging off them and it's like what is that it's just rags oh. like an actual scarecrow never mind but the point the political point that the film managed to make obviously very successfully is having our humanity the, the very worst of ourselves reflected back at ourselves which is the whole point of the exercise um, with the apes standing over human corpses and having their photograph taken the trophy hunters yeah. yeah and it's so casual and it's so easy and it's harrowing and I think it's much more shocking than anything in the other two films that we're going to talk about what that one shot of them standing over the bodies of the humans and the, the, their friend taking a picture of them yeah and the way that the bodies are piled up and this is like 1968 and the um you know notoriously famously is a horrible word but famously the um my Lai massacre had happened or had been photographed and so we we deserve all of this and it's fucking horrible but that's what we're like what did you think at this point chris were you enjoying the trudge through the desert did you see a lot of yourself in charlton heston I, I see more of myself in the apes if i'm honest i mean physically. Um, but that's just a physical thing <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah of course <laughs> No, it's a bit. I mean, it's a bit slow, but obviously, Phil's moved at a different pace then, and I like the way it sets the mood, sets up the mood and the tone, in a way that maybe you know Thursday's film you jump in far too quickly. So, yeah, I think there's pros and cons to that, to the fact that it takes thirty minutes to get to to the action. But I agree with Vicky that that photo, and I think the first word you hear one of them say is smile. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it, that's done. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, so we're going to talk about the Ape Society, but let's have a short break. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
So the the big point, Taylor discovers this world. Now, apes are the dominant group. So they talk, they use tools, they have law and order, they have religion, they have culture. Humans are mute. They are pets, or at best, at worst, they're experimented on. And the society has different levels depending on which ape you are. So gorilla, chimp, orangutan. Um, he meets Dr. Zero, who gives him a pet name, Bright Eyes, uh, and encourages him to speak. And I love the fact that he's desperate to talk because to my reading, he's like, I'm a white guy. I can sort this out. Just let me talk because I could talk my way out of this situation. <laughs> and he obviously, when he does, that does not solve his problems in any way, which is good. Yeah. I get, again, I'm a product of a certain generation of cinema goer. I'm like, hurry up and speak. We know you're going to take the bandage off at some point and speak. So just fucking <laughs> yeah. hurry up. I get it. I get it. I get it. you got to play out this bit where it's like, da, 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 da. but I'm like, say something. I want to hear you speak. Yeah. It's slow. And he's just lucky that he meets the right ape. So he meets Zira and her fiance, Cornelius, because and there's Dr. Zayas, but he appears to hate him and say that man is a nuisance and is only good for brain experiments. Um, and so, and he wants him to be gelded, which scared the shit out of me because yeah. I don't even have testicles. Mm. But just gelded, saying of a human person, you should be gelded is fucked up. And <laughs> it's mm. really scary. And I did feel very bad for him. Our second mention of losing your testicles on this episode. Yeah, mm. I know. About time. Um, so, Zira and Cornelius, brilliant, obviously. A slight gripe for me in that the, what's in front of them at this point of the film, is our equivalent of a talking monkey from space, right? But they're pretty chill about that. Like Now, they have their suspicions as to why he exists, but when you're watching at this point in the film, you don't know what their suspicions would be. They don't necessarily think he's a talking monkey from space, though. They think he's... Because they've got humans. It's not like he's an alien life form. They've got yeah. humans on the planet, and they are thinking this is, this is an anomaly among the human species. I think it's the same if... We came across a chimpanzee that could, you know, had rudimentary speech capabilities. They don't have rudimentary speech capabilities, though. Like, if you went to the zoo and one went, hiya, <laughs> you should be very scared because they can't do that. They can sign, but yeah. it's not the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It I would scare you. And I, also, the film, all these filmmakers know how much it would scare you because in The Rise of the Planet of the Apes, when Caesar finally speaks, it has... No! <laughs> that has real power because they can't do that. And it's scary. Yeah, yeah, All right. I, I get you. They do seem pretty chill, but I put that down to them just being super like intelligent and chill. Like, Zira is all like, yo... This is cool. You can speak. Yeah. And Corny. they make jokes. They're like, oh, you from space, are you? What are you like? <laughs> They're just like, you know, I think it makes them seem slightly more level-headed and less hysterical than yeah. him. It's a nice uh, juxtaposition because he's like, come on, we've got to get out of here. And, <laughs> and she, she's like, just chill, man. Like, we've got to go see Dr. Zayas. I mean, Dr. that's Zayas. a really good point because when he finally talks, do you want to do the line? So he finally talks and he's in the net and he insults them and he says. "What? Is, I can't, Chris. Take your hands off me. No, babe, it's not that. It's take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. But said like Charlton Heston. Um, but this is a brilliant moment because he's cross. So he's basically naked. He's caught in a net. He hasn't got the fucking brains to try and charm his way out of it. He just shouts. At, he, he insults his captors, mm. which is a crazy thing to do, but it fits for his character. Yeah. He should not be an astronaut, but he, it fits with his character that rather than being like, we can sort this out, he just insults the people that could kill him. Yeah, because you got to imagine part of his journey out into space was to potentially meet alien species. You know, that must have been on the cards. They must have gone, look, chances are slim. 
But just get ready. This is this is this. <laughs> yeah. let, let us just school you in how to approach. Get the fuck off me! <laughs> yeah. Get out of your flippers touching me. Yeah, you stink. <laughs> yeah, you're dirty. Like that's that's not diplomacy. You remember the octopus people we met on that water planet, <laughs> and you were just like you were like eight. That's too fucking many. That didn't go well. So just you know, chill with this sort of thing. But it's why Zira and Cornelius work. Because like you say, they're more level-headed and he's just like, he goes through arcs and peaks and troughs with his character and he becomes more desperate. But in the moment where he could be like, guys, I appear to be caught in a net here, he's very rude. Um, <laughs> so he names this, I just, I mean, you can imagine how I feel, but he names his pet woman, Nova, and bemoans, mm. fucking whinges about Stuart checking out of being the new Eve um, with his hot and eager help. And I just like interesting language. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, very sort of a little bit, a uh, little bit too keen. I yeah, think not very scientific. <laughs> no. I think that's that's the weird thing. It's like, look, she, you know, this if this was even the plan, if she signed up for it, mm. she'd be like, can you at least pretend to not enjoy mm. yourself? This is this is just something we have to we do. We have to do. It, yeah, like, hot. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, can I just have five minutes? That's just after he's told Nova that there were women, lots of women, lots of lovemaking. <laughs> yeah. and, God, and there were women, just... so many women. <laughs> Before he says he reckons he loves her because, and I quote, you're the only girl in town. Oh, yeah. And then he... T- <laughs> And then he teaches her to smile. I mean, it's just a it's a bad five minutes for Charlton here. Yeah. And but let me be devil's advocate just for the thrill of it. Um, is he supposed to be a bad dude? So he's treating her as a pet. She's literally a human being, right? She's she might be able to speak. She's not another species, she's not this, all these other stupid things you could say. She's literally a human, mm. but he's treating her like an animal. So is he therefore is he, awful? And meant to be awful. I'm not judging. Is he him. also seeing her is is he also seeing her as a science project? Because he's she's now his only chance to to get procreation going again. Yeah. Um, is she a means to an end to him now? And that's well, why I don't he's think saying he loves some her, of these things. That's what you're asking me. <laughs> like, definitely not. Well, he does say that. Yeah. He does say that. He does question if he loves yeah. her. Self-awareness. That's a plus. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just I just didn't know where what I was supposed to think. I'm in 1968 and I'm like, oh, that's totally normal to talk to her like that. Or are you supposed to be the character of a bad man? Oh, I no. see what you mean. Right. So taking into account the time period. Right. Go on, Chris. I also think there's an element of him that they've set him up as being having slightly lost his mind, I think. Do you not think yes. on this space journey? A lot of the things he said, he seems deranged from the yeah. off. So and that sort of I think that fits in with some, what, what he's saying now. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think I think this was I think this stuff is shocking at any time. Yeah, did I read somewhere that so she's got like a, like a, a bra on for the whole thing, which I'm not saying she should take it off, but it, it's like an anachronism, like a, a sort of a civilization like that. I don't think they would necessarily feel the need to cover their breasts, but that. It was just too much. You can't have a woman running around topless all the time in a film. But it is weird that of all the clothes she could make, she just made this like cute bra. Mm. Anyway, thank God she had it on. Though, to be honest, otherwise I just would have exploded. Would it? Would would that not be just to support her if she's running around? <laughs> what with an underwire? <laughs> like she's learned metallurgy, but no, they haven't even got like the power of fire. I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know. What did prehistoric? Nothing is what they wore. Did they really wear nothing? Why would they cover it up? I mean. 
in 10 million years BC, 1 million years BC. Yeah, but you'd have a whole thing on. You wouldn't have a bra shape on, would right. you? You'd have the same as everyone else, which would be a, a full covering. Right. Or when it was hot, you'd wear nothing. I mean, all the movies I've seen... Yeah, I know. <laughs> they've worn similar to what Nova wears in yeah. this. So I'm inclined to think that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they went through the history books and cave most, paintings. And... Most films are really well researched in this department. <laughs> so I'm sort of going to go with actually the movies right. Just on this one. Okay, yeah. I, I still think Charlie Hester is a bit pushy but um, <laughs> you know I think she's wearing uh, the appropriate outfit for okay. the time period for the time period so there's a very long courtroom scene here um well, <laughs> no, no. Are you going to talk about this bit at length? Because I don't no. just don't direct any questions to me. Because I tuned out. It's I can't. <laughs> I'm an idiot. But I was like, this feels important. Like the movie's themes are being discussed. Mm-hmm. I'll just wait for Vicky to tell me what they are. Because okay, I, you know, I'll just play on my phone while this bit's on. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm at this point. I'm going. When's the Statue of Liberty turning up? Yeah. When is it going to be a chase? Right. So what it is, it's good in terms of like the ethical, the moral questions, the implications about our, our perceived right or perceived human right that we have the, quote, divine spark to be able to do what we like on this planet. And then you place it in another context and you can see how false that is. Um, but it's be- And that's great. But it is a very, if in film language, this is a very long conversation about stuff that we already know as the audience. Right. So... There's, there's definitely a place for it, but uh, it's just it just you know to modernise it just felt very long, um, and it's slowing down the action. I think it was probably quite important to the writer because Michael Wilson was blacklisted, yeah. and that's very much his political perspective here. In that by the end of the trial, um, he realises uh, Taylor realises that his case was preordained yes. and he never had yeah. a chance. And so I think that's Michael Wilson. You know, it was tough for blacklisted writers to put their point across. And so I think he does it quite elegantly here. It's just obviously, yeah, I agree. It does. It does take a while to get there. And um, Pierre Boulle the writer of the book, when he went to Indochina and he apparently, so he's working for the Free French and he's meant to infiltrate uh, like a Vichy controlled area. And on a whim, he just told the truth to an officer that he thought would be sympathetic. So they're both French. And he was just like, look, this is this, I'm here to do this, but can you help me out? Because this Vichy thing is not cool. So I can sense from you that you might come over to my side. And he was like, fuck you, you're off to prison. And he spent like two years in a forced labor camp. So that it, that sort of in, like influenced Pierre Bull's writing because you can think you're on the right team and another dude's just like, sorry, no, you're not. And you think you have a commonality, like mm. a, an underlying humanity, like we're both French, we both got this, like, no. So shit spy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. 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 So I'm a spy, but uh, do you know what will be quicker? I just tell you that I'm a spy and you're going to hell. I'm in jail. I'm in jail. That didn't work. Mm. <laughs> Jail's full of spies. We're like, God, did you just try telling them? <laughs> yeah. yeah, shit. Same guy. <laughs> guy with it, the hair and the moustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, he seems so he nice, seems so right? He seems so nice, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he was like, he was like tell He's me your problems. He's a fucking sneaky one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good, good spy, though. Better than us. Where, where, yeah. where, where, where is he this? now? <laughs> He's out there having a ball. We're in this forced labour camp. 
Uh, you live and learn. So to flip from the courtroom scene, which is a long conversation about stuff we already know, we then go and have a long conversation with Zayas, which is stuff that we know isn't true. So I, lo- I love, you know, the acting's amazing and the, the moral content is fantastic. But I was like, oh, I know that Taylor isn't a mutant and he doesn't have a nest of women and all the rest of it. Yeah, but so I'm confused here because it seems like Dr. Zayas, later on in the film, it seems like he knows all along that Earth was earth like that they have overtaken humanity and that the forbidden zone is actually full of the old civilization of mankind that has fallen and that you know the apes have taken over so at this point i'm like what are you doing like do you think he's a mutant or do you know I'm confused. I was confused. But the point was his character, it's a, it's a good scene, his character shifts. You know, it's like I've been sort of ragging you this whole time, but actually I know exactly, I sort of know exactly what's going on. Mm. And I believe, he's like, I believe you kind of thing. Right. I thought. Um, but then anyway, it doesn't matter because uh, Taylor's going to break out and then demands that the woman comes, I want her. And then she gets dragged along for the ride to the Forbidden Zone. So... Do you feel like the surprise is overly telegraphed here or not? Because they're looking for evidence. So uh, Cornelius and Zira and Charlton Hessen and Nova along for the ride are looking for evidence of an earlier society because this evidence of an early society will exonerate Zira and Cornelius. In terms of plot, unless that... Like, do you care if Zira and Cornelius get absolved and get to go home? You don't care, do you? Like, who cares? I mean, if I could refer to my answer earlier. You were on your phone. I'm just waiting for the Statue of Liberty at this point. I'm like, I want to see that bit and I want to see how I feel about that bit. I'm not really sure what's going on. Is that what was happening? Is it about getting Cornelius and Zira off the hook? Or Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Just just give Charlton a gun and have him shoot a few things. Well, exactly. So, who cares? So, they find this doll that says mummy or mama. Um... And Good point about the batteries, by the way. Never thought of that. Yeah, but then the Tim Burton one's like, oh, it's nuclear. So, I, I yeah, if, if you'd seen that one first, you'd be like, oh, it's just a nuclear doll. That's fine. But at the time, you're just like, there's no way that fucking triple A's are lasting 800 years, obviously. Um, so, you, sorry, you think that before humanity collapsed and the nukes went off, mm. they... They'd Put uranium started, in a doll? They started using nuclear power <laughs> to power a doll to say, mama. <laughs> I yes, I did like the line where he goes, "Why?" Yeah, when Doctor Zayas is like, "I've seen apes with dolls like this," and yes. Charlton Heston does go, "But why? If why humans can't talk, talk mm. why would they make a doll mm. that talks?" Yeah. I was like, "Oh, that's nice." Yeah, good point. Where's the sexual liberty now? Yeah, mm. <laughs> um, Chris, what did you think? Yeah, no, 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 I love it. The, the, the mama is, and, and that point that he makes is one of the best bits in the film. But okay, but if there are doll monkeys that speak, because children like toys that are cute, but they also like toys that talk. So you can buy a talking monkey toy now. It doesn't prove the existence of. Yeah, I don't think you can. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Uh, no, honestly, have you ever bought Would Marshall it... or anyone else? A talking monkey, probably. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it might say "mummy." I think. I don't know. I just it's... it sounds vague. It does sound a bit wishy-washy. You'd sort of no, you'd know if you had a talking monkey doll in the house. Would I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would I? I don't think you can buy them. Okay. I, I think the point make the film makes is sound. It, it's very, very good. Chris, I'm sure you agree. There's no such thing as an animal doll that actually speaks human words because that's blasphemy. Yeah. And the point is it says mama, isn't it, as well? 
A human doll I still that says think mama. You can get a monkey to say mummy. I just. Anyway. You just said a minute ago monkeys can't talk. A doll one. All right. A toy one. Mm, okay. It's just fear. I've, I feel like you've taken a confusing part of the film and made it more confusing rather than adding clarity to this. Yeah. It's fine, though. It's cool. I, I think the point he was making is why would you get. Why would they, why would they make a, a monkey doll to say mama? Yeah. A hu- it? Wait, a human doll. A human doll. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, hmm. So I don't think you do. Let's go back. <laughs> I don't think we've covered this doll uh, enough. Let's not. Right. So let's talk about the kiss because it's kind. What's fine, I guess. Which kiss? So he kisses before everyone rides off to find their destiny, kind mm. of thing. Oh, They're he like, okay, bye. Zero. And then he's like, we're going this way. You, you guys, you're going to shoot off now. Well, we're going the other way. So we're getting the northern line. So. Bye. Um, they, they they sort of orchestrated this kiss with Zero, which is really innocent, but you don't need to do that. So I would say that any sort of sexual t- there's no sexual tension here. There's in the other films, fucking tons of it. It's so weird. But in this film, she's engaged. She likes her human because he's interesting, mm. but I don't feel like she's attracted to him. And I think the kiss was just something that she wanted to do just to see what it was like. What do you think? I don't know. I think if you've been helped, if I was helped by, uh, you know. A chimpanzee in the real world. I kiss Simon all the time, my dog. On the li- lips? Do dogs have lips? <laughs> Still with one species at a time. Let's stick with the chimpanzees at the moment. But yeah, dogs have lips. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Why is I, I... <laughs> uh, Chris, step in here. Vicky's gone. Uh, she's The idea of whether a dog has lips or not, has, uh, it's, it, we're in one of those situations. Break the glass. Step up. Come on, Chris. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Isn't it partly there so that she can say, "All right, but you're so damned ugly." Oh yeah, that's true. So we've spent we've spent the film marveling at how weird these apes yeah. look, and maybe not thought about the fact that actually they think we're really ugly, and that's maybe not that's not um, the audience hasn't considered that until this yeah. point. Um, and that's it. He finds he finally finds the Statue of Liberty, and he suddenly becomes extremely emotional. I mean, he's been emotional so far. But my point is, he is not a person that believes in human goodness. Taylor is not. Taylor is like on the communique before they get to Earth. He's like, "You're fucking ruined it, I reckon." And then when they get on the planet, he's like, "There's got to be something better than man." He says that almost word for word. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't believe in human goodness. So why is he? Surprised that the earth has gone to shit. Oh, come on. You cannot believe in human goodness and still be like, fuck me. Like, I yeah. mean, you know, you might be saying that, like, I'm a cynic, but like, I say it. But I don't. I I say it in a way that I hope I'm wrong. Okay. You know, like you see, you do a worst case scenario, but you never really believe it. You think people will come through, and so he's been going, yeah, fuck humankind, fucking dickheads. Now, but I think deep down, he wouldn't actually think, oh my god, this is Earth, okay. and you actually totally fucked it. Yeah, that's a good that's a good explanation. Because to me, he's like, oh, I bet you fucked it all up, and it's like, yeah, they have. Yeah. So. But I didn't sort of see that. I think I agree with you, Vicky, but I think it's an example as well of you, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And um, I think they've been building that up as though, well. If he's going to get away sort of scot-free and he's got a pet human who he's quite happy to just treat as some sort of, as a sex slave, as long as he can find enough to eat, it's a pretty sweet life. And there are other humans around. So, yeah. he, you know, and he could probably eventually teach them to talk. Yeah. So- all right. Right, exactly. I honestly think I'm sort of like, you know. Seems all right. He's not in the worst situation. I wasn't, I don't watch this and feel really bad for him. No. 
Because he wasn't going anywhere anyway. If it didn't, if it turned out that this wasn't Earth and he wasn't another planet, he's not going home. He's got no spaceship or anything, mm. so he's stuck there. It's sort of like, oh, it is Earth. All right, yeah. yeah. Come on, Nova. But it's a cool, it's a cool twist, obviously, and it looks amazing, and it still looks amazing for its time. Like it looks good. Yeah. Uh, do you not think so? Uh, it's not as good as Mega Maid sticking out the sand in Spaceballs because <laughs> I saw that before I saw this. Do you want to hear some alternate endings which were written at the time? Yes. So I'll, uh, first one, Taylor escapes with Nova, flies home to Earth, which is inhabited by apes. There you go. Uh, another yeah, one, the apes... Just escapes with Nova, flies home to Earth. So it's the same ending as Tim Burton? Yeah. All right. Um, the, then another ending the apes plan to explain everything that Taylor and Zero and Connors have uncovered using a robot resembling Taylor to sort of come out and go yep yeah, no nothing to see sorry about that fun and then the As last in one... playing into Dr. Zayas's yeah. theory and... yeah so they're going to make a robot even though they don't seem to have the, tech. any tech camera is the most advanced tech they've got a camera <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah. um and then this one, which is fun. This I really like this one. So Taylor escapes to his ship with Cornelius and Zira, and they discover what is described in the script to sort of not ruin the surprise as a metal arm sticking out of the sand. Um, then they finally realise, as they're as so they can hear aircraft overhead, like the monkeys are coming to get them. They finally realise where they are as the arm sort of becomes more revealed, and it's the Statue of Liberty. The gorillas arrive, shoot him dead. So what you've seen on screen is um, Taylor's face being like, "Oh my god!" You haven't seen it as the audience. The gorillas shoot him dead. They carry his corpse away, and as they carry his corpse away, the camera pans round to reveal the Statue of Liberty. That's an ending. Yeah, it's fucking awesome, isn't it? <laughs> That's, yeah, I mean, dark as hell, but I'd love that. that good, I, it? I'd walk away from this movie going, fuck. Yeah, it's great. Because he was also about to escape as well, so it's got all your yeah, elements there. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? That's 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 suitably bleak. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, I like it. And that's it. So I don't have any more. So would you like to do the bits, or would you like to chuck anything else in? Oh, let's ask the or the author of this triple threat week, Chris. Anything to add? No, let's go for Brilliant. it. Brilliant. All right, let's go uh, for Chris, it. Chris, what was your best scene? Ending. Yeah, Alex. At uh, the end, or the first time the apes ride in on horseback, I genuinely found that quite affecting. Yeah, I would say the ending, but actually, um, the when the, they're posing over the bodies and they're saying "smile," because everything this film is saying is encapsulated in that one moment, and it's saying a lot, and it says it a lot brilliantly throughout the film. But it's all in that moment, mm. which is good. Uh, what's your most valuable whatever, Alex? I like Roddy McDowell as Cornelius. Do you? <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know why. There's something about obviously they're all acting past the makeup. But I get the most personality of any of the apes from Roddy McDowell as Cornelius. I sort of, there's a, you know, his frustration uh, with Zira and like his love for Zira. I get most of their chemistry from his end. They're quite cute, aren't they? Yeah, I like them as a couple. I mean, I'd have them round. I mean, and I don't do that a lot. He's the actor who worked with the makeup artist to figure out how he could do little twitches on his mouth. Oh. And I think that brings the character to life in a way that some of the other apes aren't quite as as realistic. Yeah. So he knew what he was doing. Mm. What's yours, Chris? Uh, I'll go. I'll go. John Chambers. Yeah. Um. He uh. He did an amazing job. There wasn't an, an Oscar for makeup uh back at this period, but he received a special uh, Academy Award for for achievement mm. for this film. So. Yeah, he's done a great job. He is also mine. Um, it's incredible what was achieved. He's also mine. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, so what would you change, Alex? So, controversial, sure, interesting, definitely. What you do, the Statue of Liberty at the end, 
Mm-hmm. Picture that. Yep. Put some pink slime it. in it. No, <laughs> no, not, don't go Ghostbusters too. Although, great. Thanks. Love, love the Ghostbusters reference. No. What you do, you do a George Lucas on this motherfucker. Mm-hmm. All right. What you do is you get your CGI digital tools out and you put General Thade's face on the Statue of Liberty at the end of the 1968 version and bang. Suddenly, it's a shared universe with 2001's Planet of the Apes. It's not a reimagining. Thade is in this as well. Okay. I can't really keep up with that, but that sounds cool. It makes more sense in the end of 2001's Planet of the Apes, <laughs> trust me. Uh, Chris, what would you change? Uh, I would get rid of a character you didn't even mention. Just completely wipe him out. Lucius. Ah. Uh, is he the, the nephew? Oh, of, yeah, because he's so um, annoying. <laughs> He's annoying and he's pointless. Yeah. He he's there so that so that Taylor can make these weirdly contradictory points about youth culture that don't really fit in with what his attitude seems yep. to be. And so just get rid of him and, and uh, Cornelius can happily do everything that he does. Oh, I've got another moment that I loved. Uh, remember when Dodge, uh, his fellow astronaut, gets shot in the back of the head when the monkeys arrive, the apes arrive in the first raid. And then when Charlton's running around the museum trying to escape the apes and he runs past John Dodger's embalmed corpse, yeah. he gets shot in the back of the head again with <laughs> the body. After he's dead and embalmed, he gets shot in exactly the same way. I thought that was quite funny. It's awful. It's mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like, why would you do that? Why would you have him shot twice in yeah. the back of the head? I don't know what my change is. Mm. I think Taylor, although it undoes, I mean, Maybe you can't even have Charlton Heston in it if this is what how it's going to be. But he's the sort of man who thinks he's good, right? And he's looking forward to going home and seeing how awesome future Earth is. Mm. But being stripped of everything, all of his privilege, and it brings out the worst in him. So his treatment of Nova should be like a gradual slide. Like he wouldn't talk to her like that at first kind of thing. Wouldn't talk to her like she was a pet or an animal. But then when he realizes he could get away with it, because he's not going to be judged for acting like an animal because they think he's an animal, right? Mm. So when he realizes he can get away with it and he's under a lot of stress, like the situation, um, it pushes him to do things he would never normally do. And that despite everything, he's doomed to be a bastard because we're all doomed to be fucking awful. And that's the sort of emotional mix so going on. He become, he starts to devolve yeah. like the humans that he's surrounded yeah. by and starts behaving like them. Yeah. In the absence of a judging, of an absence of a morality that can hold him accountable to be the best possible human, which mm. is kind of the point of law and order and culture and whatever else, he just debases himself pretty quickly because he can and he will get away with it and because the situation pushes him to do it kind of thing. He's kind of got it quite good on this planet, you know. Yeah. Well, he says that, doesn't he, at some point? He's like, oh, they don't speak, so we're going to be bossing this shit like in no time. <laughs> um, that's it. We're done. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, Chris, do you want to do a quiz this week or do you want to save it for next week when we're back together? Uh, let's save it for Thursday. Lovely. All right, then. All right, like it. Uh, all right, then. So um, we'll save the clue for Thursday for next week as well, seeing as we've got three shows, unless you want to do your clue now, V. It's up to you. I've got a clue. All right, do a clue. Are you ready? Yep. Congratulations on your little monster. Oh, that's good. I like that. All right, that's the clue for next week's movies. But before then, it's Triple Threat Week. We are back Thursday as Chris takes us on the wild ride that is Tim Burton's 2001 reimagining. And then on Saturday, I'll be taking us through 2011's Rise of the Planet of the Apes. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate and reviews if you have the time. It's a great help. And check in with us on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. Back on Thursday. Bye-bye. This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 